0: as we pray together um, to, uh, this morning, I want to invite you to come forward if you'd like to come forward and pray with me here at the front. But, you know, we turn a page from 2022 to 2023 uh, on this particular morning. And, um, you know, I was reminded this morning early of the words of Paul in Philippians chapter 3. And, uh, you know, as we think about the coming year, as we think about the next 52 Sundays in the life of, uh, of our church and in our lives, this is Paul's heart as he was living his life daily. Um, and this is what he says. It comes from Philippians 3, verse 12. Not that I am already obtained this. He's talking about the resurrection from the dead. And he's saying, listen, this is what I'm going to receive. I'm going to receive eternal life. But he says, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He understood what the Lord was doing in his life and what the Lord had done in his past, but he was forward-thinking. And church, we need to be forward-thinking. You need to be forward-thinking. I need to be forward-thinking in my own personal life. There may be things you want to change in your life. You know the key to changing things in your life is not found in you. Right now, we're hearing a lot of self-help. You always do at the end of a year. You know, you got to do this and do this. If you just try this diet or do this or do that, you can do this, right? And at the end of the day, we hear a lot of self-help in our, in our country, our culture. The fact of the matter is, it is Jesus Christ who changes us in every way. And so if you want to change any area of your life, if we want to change any area of ourselves, then we press into Jesus Christ and we surrender to his power, the power that he has over us. So let's just remember that and let's press on, let's press forward uh, to what Jesus Christ wants to do, what the Lord wants to do in our lives, and in our church, in our homes this coming year. And so let's pray to that end and then we'll look at God's word in a few moments, okay? Father, thank you this morning, just as we close the chapter on a year, we thank you for the beginning of a new year. And we thank you, Lord, that you have brought us through uh, the last 12 months. Um, For some of us in this room, Lord, we've experienced incredible suffering and pain. And Lord, some of us have experienced joys. They certainly come in different forms and fashions in our lives. And God, as we come to you, we know and understand that you know us better than we know ourselves. And you know what we've been through in the last 12 months. You have brought victories in our lives. Lord, you've also brought us through seasons of suffering. But Lord, as we move into a new year, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that we don't live our lives daily in our own power and in our own strength and our own ability, but we live it under the power and the authority of you, Jesus, and the power of your Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And so, Lord, we thank you this morning that you never abandon us, you never leave us, you never forsake us. God, we're here today, Lord, just to acknowledge that, to declare that, to tell you that we believe that. We also believe that, Lord, no matter what happens in the next 12 months, in our lives, in our homes, in our church, in our country, around the world, we trust you. We trust you. We trust you with the unanswered questions that we have. We trust you with what we don't understand and what we don't know. We trust you with, Lord, what we certainly don't know week to week, year to year, month to month. We put our faith and our trust in you. We want to be people who walk by faith and not by sight. We want to be a people, Lord, and we want to be individuals, Lord, who who are, are known for our faith in you, Jesus. Not with the expectation or, Lord, the assumption that, Lord, somehow you're going to do something to prove yourself to us. Lord, you don't have to prove yourself to us. You are all that we need. Jesus, when we think about you, we understand you to be a a, a God, a, a Savior. Lord, it didn't just save us, but you sustained us. You provided for us. You are all we need. Your word is all we need. Your Holy Spirit is all we need to navigate through this world, to navigate through this next year. And Lord, we just declare our obedience and our allegiance to you. And we trust you. Lord, we thank you this morning for your presence that is here with us. We thank you that we're not alone. We thank you that, Lord, we can come to the God of the universe, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who, Lord, holds together all of creation right now. We can come to you, Lord, in a way and understand that, Lord, You are near to us. You're not far off. You're not distracted with the billions of things going on around this world and all of creation. And yet you would visit us. You would be here with us. You would, Lord, listen to us. And you would act upon the prayers of your people. God, would you find us a people who are ever so striving forward and pressing forward as the Apostle Paul showed us, Lord. Lord, we know that we have received this resurrection from the dead. We know and understand that we have eternal life. We know we have an abundant life here on earth. But Lord, help us to live in light of that. Help us to, Lord, strive to to complete the work that you want in every one of our lives. And as a church, God, help us to be faithful. Help us to be courageous. Help us to, Lord, be found um, diligent to follow you day after day in our life. Keep our eyes on you, Jesus because lord every day we are tempted to take our eyes off of you and put them on our circumstances put them on the things that we don't understand they create worry they create anxiety they create anger create discouragement but you're more important than those things and you are greater than those things and so help us and be help us to be found As a people of prayer, a people, Lord, who are focused on the things that you want us to be focused on. And so, Lord, we pray for this time in your word. Lord, as we look into your word, help us to be found obedient and willing to listen and willing to follow the things that you want to show us today. We give this time to you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, as you see right there above my head, we're going to be in Matthew 22, so I want to encourage you to turn to Matthew 22. A couple quick things today as we're getting started, Um, one, or three things actually, one, We're going to be moving back into the book of Joshua next Sunday morning. So um, if you want to begin reading ahead, you can read the book of Joshua and the first few chapters there. We're going to kind of recap where we've been and where we're going as well. But next Sunday, we'll get back into our series as we're walking verse by verse through the book of Joshua. Uh, This morning in the lobby, don't forget to pick up one of the chronological Bible reading plans. It begins today, January 1. And so right in there on the uh, front page... Today, we're reading a few chapters in Genesis, a few chapters in John, one or two of the Psalms. Okay, so take some time. If you haven't done so already, get alone with the Lord, get alone with your Bible, and read those uh, those chapters. <clears throat> and we're reading chronologically through the year. And so here's a cool little tool for you. Um, each and every day is laid out for you. The first six months are here, and we'll have the, ne- the last... Uh, half of the year later in the year as we uh, get uh, get started with that. Don't forget that this is Ethan and Caitlin's last Sunday with us, and we're going to have a reception for them across the street at the end of our service today. So don't run off, uh, but uh, stick around for a few minutes after the service, and let's uh, enjoy some fellowship and make sure you say goodbye to them as they are transitioning to Southwestern Seminary. We'll talk about more of that at the end of our service today. But I just want to remind you of that on the front end, uh, so you can be planning, and preparing to stick around for a few moments, okay? Uh, look in your Bibles this morning at Matthew chapter 22. We're going to talk this morning about a framework for life, okay? As we start the new year, as we get the new year beginning, and we start the new year together, we're going to look at how. what does God want for us and how to be successful in this coming year, in 2023, as many of you did, uh, you traveled like we did. We traveled a little bit on the holidays. We did all of our traveling prior to Christmas, and we spent about a week with our families out in Virginia. So we were very busy. We were going day, door, uh, day to day, we were going uh, to different family members' homes and visiting with family members. One of the things that, uh, that I always enjoy when I go back to my in-law's house uh, is that uh, they, they have a, a very unique home. Uh, It's a home that was built over 260 years ago. That's pretty hard to believe. It is actually Abraham Lincoln's grandmother's home. It's a historical landmark in Virginia. And what's amazing about it is that it was found in ruins on an old farm many, many years ago. And Christina's parents found it, did a little research on it, and realized that this was uh, a was, was pretty special place. So they took it, they bought it, and they took it, and they had disassembled the foundation, which were all limestone rock, and they numbered all of the limestone rocks, and they moved it to the top of a mountain where they live. They bought a little piece of property and built, reassembled it at the very top of this mountain, and then they took the timbers, the logs that are all axe-hewn. They were cut with axes over 200 years ago, and they reassembled the home, and it sits on top of this mountain. What's amazing about it is, um, there there was a time when I was visiting with uh, Christina's parents, and they showed me this book, and it showed how they had disassembled it, what it looked like when they found it. They actually found a picture from years ago of what it used to look like, and so they tried to assemble it the way it used to look look like. But this book kind of chronicled day after day, or what their stages were in breaking it down and rebuilding it. Now, how does a home stay intact for over 200 years, over 250 years. It has a good foundation. It has a good framework for how it was built. And even today, it's built very solidly and sound. And listen, when it comes to life, when I think about my life, when we think about our lives, listen, there is a successful life, okay, that, uh, and a successful life is built that way or it is, is looks like that. Uh, when you're younger, okay, You're looking for how can you be successful in your life. When you're older, whatever age that is, y'all determine whatever whatever age older is. But when you get older in your life, you're looking at how to be faithful to the end of your life. You're looking at the last few years of your life, and you just want to be faithful. How do we be successful at the very end of our lives, right? Well, pleasing the Lord, listen, requires the current framework that the Lord that, that leads to success. I'm in my middle years. I'm no longer younger, and I'm not really considered older. So I have this perspective of looking back on my younger years of life, and I look at the next season of my life or the second half of my life if the Lord leads me on this earth for over another 40-plus years, okay? I'm not younger, and I'm not really older, if you want to consider that. I'm kind of in the middle. And what I'm here to say this morning is that success is found in the words of Jesus right here in Matthew 22. And I just want to unpack them for us this morning on this first Sunday of the year. Look with me at what it says in beginning in verse 34 of chapter 22. It says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, quote, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all of the law and the prophets. Now listen, Jesus here is teaching in the temple. And as he's teaching in the temple, there are people, one, one after another come up to him and they're trying to get at him. They're trying to trip him up. They're trying to get him to contradict himself. They're trying to get him to a place where they are attempting to break him down. They're trying to get to a place where they can have that aha moment in the life of Jesus. And so they're there and they're trying to test him. They're trying to come at him in multiple ways. This is the last week in the life of Jesus, of course. And they're trying to discredit him. In fact, if you go back at verse 15, same chapter, chapter 22. But look back at verse 15. Notice what it says. Then the Pharisees went and they plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they're trying to entangle him in his words. And look, look back down at to verse 20 and this is or 23 rather. And this is what happens after the Pharisees get done with him. Here come the Sadducees, the two kind of political parties, if you will, of the Jewish leadership, spiritual leadership. And it says the same day Sadducees came to him and said who say that there is no resurrection, and they ask him a question. Say, Teacher, Moses said, if a man is, dies having no children, they begin to test him with this. And his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers among, among us. The first married and died, having no offspring, and left his wife to his brother. So too the second and third, down to the seventh. And after them, the woman died, in the resurrection, therefore, of the seven... "'Whose wife shall shall she be? "'For they all had her as their wife. Jesus looks at them and says, "'You are wrong.'" And he goes on to tell them why they are wrong. Now, here's what's happened. The Pharisees get wind of this. The Pharisees hear that Jesus stopped and kind of shut up the mouths of the Sadducees. And they want to come at him again. So they get together prior to verse 34. They hear what he does to the Sadducees, and so they get together, and they begin to talk about how they can challenge him again and take more swipes at him and have that aha moment, but it never does come. So they're in case, he, Jesus is encountered by this lawyer. You see it in the, in the, in the story, uh, and the encounter with the lawyer is no different. I want you to look at the story. We're going to break the story down. We're going to come back and talk about what God has to say for us. This morning, I want you to notice three things. I want you to notice the motive of the lawyer, number one. I want you to notice the question that he asks, and then I want you to notice the response of Jesus. In those few verses, notice the lawyer came with the wrong motive. Look at the text with me again. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Now, let's just stop right there. The Pharisees hear about what he's done with the Sadducees. They get together. They figure out, they're trying to figure out a way how they can attack him again. The lawyer, a lawyer among them, sees an opportunity. And so he says to them, okay, I'm going to go ask him a question. Verse 35, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to do what? To test him. Now, understand that he came with the wrong motive. You know why? Because the word test is not just test in the sense that they're trying to figure out the truth, they're trying to discredit him. And the motive that they come to him with is to discredit him, is to trip him up. In fact, the word test there is actually the word "tempt." It actually means tempt. They were trying to tempt him into a place where he could contradict himself. So the lawyer asks him a question with the wrong motive. And then notice the question that he asked. It starts kind of polite. Mark actually, in the same account here, adds the first commandment when Jesus is asked this story or asked what is the greatest commandment or the first commandment. He says, teacher, which is the great commandment or the first commandment in the law? Now, what do they expect him to say? Well, they certainly don't expect him to say the Big Ten, you shall love the Lord your God. They're not trying to get to the Ten Commandments, no. They're not trying to unpack that. They're trying to get him to speak about one of the over 600 laws that the Sadducees and the Pharisees have added to the Mosaic Law. 613 to be exact. And what they had done is they had spent time after time coming up with all kinds of positive laws and all kinds of negative laws. So they had these, these affir, affirmative laws, there were 248 affirmative laws that they had added to the mosaic law there were 365 negative laws do not do this do not do that do this do this do this they had added all of these laws and so they're kind trying to come to jesus with this very simple question but they don't want him to come with the 10 commandments they want him to answer with one of the 613 why because they want to debate they want to debate some that were lighter some that were stronger and more weightier they wanted to pull Jesus into a debate so that he could start debating back and forth as to what, when, who was the, uh, the, the greatest commandment, if you will. They wanted to create controversy, anything to damage the reputation of Jesus, and Jesus would have none of that. Do you notice that? He doesn't answer the specific things that they're looking for. So look at the text again, the story. And when the Pharisees heard that he silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? So Jesus, what does he do? He doesn't answer with just one. He answers with what? Two. That's right. He answers with two. And so this is how he answers them. This is how he responds to them. And he responds to them with a framework for how to live life successfully. How to be a successful follower of God, if you will, in this kind of in this season. And this is what Jesus says: you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. There's number one. And then number two, and a second is like it: you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. So number one, he tells them to love the Lord. They were to love the Lord. This was no different. This was nothing that was new. This was nothing that was surprising. In fact, it comes all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. They know this. The Pharisees and the Sadducees know this. The lawyer certainly knows this. And it comes from the Shema, which is the, in the Hebrew, it is the, the place in which they were to hang their lives these, as, as Jews, as Israelites. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, our God, the Lord is one. And then here he says in verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So this was no different than what they had already heard. They understood this. In fact, the great, the Ten Commandments are, are kind of lined out like this. The first four of the, of the Ten Commandments all relate to what? Our relationship with who? God. And then on that fifth commandment is what? Honor your father and your mother, Right? And that's the one that comes with a promise. Because if you do that, things will go well for you, right? And then 6 through 10 have to do, this, have to do with this. Do not murder. Do not, you know, uh, bear false witness. All of the way down the line, 6 through 10 have to do with loving our neighbor. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. 1 through 4, 5 through 10, loving your neighbor as yourself. But what Jesus does is he simplifies it for them. And he tells them how to please God. Listen, there's no question as to what God wants and what God ple- and what pleases God. I mean, not only does Jesus answer that with how to love or that what they were supposed to do, and that is to love the Lord, but also then love your what? Neighbor. It carried the same weight. It carried the same importance. You see it there? If you look back at Leviticus chapter 19, actually the Lord gives the people of his people in Leviticus 19 how they were to love their neighbor. Now listen, for the Jews, this wasn't hard. You see, it wasn't hard for the Jews to love their own people. It's not hard for us to love people that are like us, isn't it? It's not hard to love people that are like you, that look like you, that sound like you, that have the same life experiences as you. It's not easy or it's not hard for you and I. It's not a stretch to, to reach out to someone who is, has commonalities with you and I. You know what's really hard? is loving people who are not like you. It, it's, it's sacrificing my time and my resources or my, uh, my effort to go and to love people that are not like me, that don't look like me, that don't sound like me, that maybe not, don't make the same amount of money as me or have the same life experience as me. That's more challenging. That requires more sacrificial work. You see, the Jews were, this was not a stretch for them to love their neighbor, you know, those who looked like them, but Jesus is talking about more. You see, the Jews saw those who were outside of the Israelites, of those who were outside of the Jewish faith, the Jewish people group, as lesser than them. They were God's people. But the people outside of their own people were not God's people. They were Gentiles. They were second-class citizens. And the Jews in this day and age, they looked down upon people like that, like the Samaritans in Jesus' day, remember. And so all of this is taking place, and Jesus cuts to the very heart of, of, of how to have this successful life, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, right? And then to love your neighbor as you would yourself. Here's what God comes and brings us to. Because this is what Jesus is telling these, this lawyer, and this is what the Lord says to us. You see, God wants wholehearted love. At the end of the day, guess what God wants? When it comes to 2023 in your life and in my life every day, this is what God wants to do. If you want to please the Lord in 2023, and you want to have this expectation to have a full and complete devotion to the Lord and then to others, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and then love others as yourself. That has to be the motive of your life. It has to be the motive of how you live your life, how you, uh, how you work. It has to be the motive for how you uh, um, uh, carry out your ministry. If you carry out a ministry in our church, this has to be at the heart of everything you do. You're there to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love others as you would ourselves. So how do we live that out in our everyday life? That's a big question. That's an important question. Now, here's the thing. So many people get this wrong. We hear it in pop culture. We hear it in country music songs. You hear it across the world. We get this wrong in so many ways. I was listening to a very popular Christian music artist. You would all know who she was and who she is, who just recently embraced a lifestyle that is ulterior or alternative to what we believe and what the Bible teaches about marriage, one man, one woman in a covenant relationship for life. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what we believe. And she came out affirming that ulterior or alternative lifestyles, and this is what she said. She says, I just believe that God wants us to love him, and he wants us to love all people. Well, that sounds really good, doesn't it? Like that sounds really good. We're supposed to love God and love people. Everybody says love God, love people, and is summarizing this. But what does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. What it doesn't mean. You see, we need to understand that when we understand this and what Jesus is saying to us when it comes to wanting our wholehearted love, is the priority first and foremost has to be the Lord, then your neighbor. The priority has to be, are we loving the Lord with our lives, with our hearts? Is it translating into something practical, into something transformative in our lives? Then we love our neighbor, right? We're called to love our neighbor. We're called to love other people, but it begins in our relationship with Jesus. So how do we know what pleases God? We open the Bible. This is why a daily Bible reading plan or whatever system you come up with and getting yourself into the Bible and why it's so important is so how do you know what pleases God? How do you know what the Lord wants? You open his word and you begin to read it. And here's what you come with when it comes to the question you ask the Lord. Lord, what is it that you love? What is it that you love? What is it that you want, not just from my life, but for the world? What is it that, that, is, that, is, that is pleasing to you? And then what is it that you hate? What is it that you are against? Now, if I just come with those simple questions and I just lay before the Lord, I sit before the Lord with my Bible open and I begin to ask those questions, guess what the Holy Spirit will begin to do in your life? He'll begin to show you. He'll begin to show you what he wants in your life, what he wants to do in your life, what he wants to take out of your life. He will begin to tell you what he loves and what he hates, what he wants to remove from you. This is what God wants for all of us. what you will find is this when you begin to open the bible and you begin to see what he loves and what he hates you will understand that love does not originate with you you see the lord comes to you and he comes to me and jesus comes to us comes to this lawyer here in the in the story and he says listen love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength love your neighbors yourself and here's the kicker the kicker is this you can't love people on your own you don't know how to i don't know how to Because love does not originate in the human mind and in the human heart. We are loved first, and then we know how to love, secondly. We we think we know how to love. We think we know because it's based on our feelings and our emotions and our affections. But at the end of the day, we understand that there is a God, first and foremost, who loves us, first and foremost. Then we begin to understand how to love the Lord, our God, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I mean, just think about back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. This is what the Lord says. I want you to listen to it again. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. But before that, understand that this is a people that did not love the Lord before. God, so what? Loved the world that he sent. Understand that God, that love originates with God to us and therefore we in, in turn begin to love the Lord with all of our heart, mind, or our heart, our soul, our mind and our strength, right? So I open my Bible and I begin to understand how God, have you loved me? How have you loved the world? How have you loved other people? And that's how I begin to understand how I am to love the way God wants me to love. So I look in my Bible and I see how God has loved me. He has been faithful to me. He has been merciful to me, right? By his nature, he is a God of love. He is a God of mercy. He has shown me tangible ways that he has loved me, how he has been merciful to me, how he has been faithful to me. And I begin to see these things and I understand these things. And then it's reciprocal. Then I begin to, because Jesus Christ changes my life, I begin to then turn that love back towards him. That I want to love him. That I want to follow him. That I want to live my life in the way that he has loved me. I, in in reciprocal fashion, begin to love him. You see, here's the fact. The fact of the matter is this. That a love for Christ translates into righteous living. Listen. Listen when we begin to, when Jesus Christ comes into our life and he transforms our life, when I turn away from my sin and I begin to follow him with my life and I begin to follow him fully and wholeheartedly with my heart, then he then pours this love in my heart towards him. And and it's not this, this, this kind of emotional, just affectionate love for Jesus that translates into wanting to follow him with my mind, with my words, with my attitude, with my actions. He comes into my life and he rearranges my life. He comes and changes my life internally. And so a love for Christ is always going to translate into righteous living. It's going to translate into righteous thinking. It's going to translate into righteous speaking. How do I love the Lord my God with all my heart, my mind and my 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 strength? How how do I love him in those ways? It's through my righteous living. I begin to rearrange my life around what he loves and what he hates. I run from what he hates. I begin to run towards what he loves. And listen, church, we see this in the model of Christ himself. I mean, Jesus himself says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, and 15. Listen to this. For the love of Christ controls us. Listen, as a follower of Jesus Christ, this is what You need to remember, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Let me read that again. That's wordy. He says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. Now, here it is. That one, Jesus, has died for all, therefore all have died. We have died. And he died for all that those who live, that's us now, might no longer live for themselves. We don't live for ourselves anymore, but for him, Jesus, who for their sake, that's us, he died and was raised. His work on the cross, his work in the grave and from the grave has given you and I reason and ability and and, and enables us to love the Lord with all of our hearts, our soul, our mind, and our strength. He enables us to do this work. This is the work that Jesus Christ does. And it's not directed towards our neighbor first. It's directed towards the Lord first. I don't direct my love to my neighbor first. It begins in my love for the Lord. Here's the thing. When you love the Lord your God in this way, when you love Jesus Christ this way, guess what he's going to do? He's going to change how you see people around him, you. He gives you a completely different perspective. You know how he does this? He does this because his love that is poured into our hearts. We begin to gain the perspective that Jesus Christ has and how God sees the world. My flesh is going to make me anxious and angry and frustrated and judgmental and all of these things because that's my flesh. But the Spirit of God, when I'm controlled by the Spirit, I'm living by the Spirit, I'm not going to gratify the sins of the flesh and I'm not going to have this kind of perspective, this worldly perspective of everybody. I now have the perspective of God who is faithful, He's merciful, He's kind, He's also truthful. He speaks truth in love, doesn't He? He loves in this way. This is loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And that love is not directed towards my neighbor first, it's directed towards the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. And when I do that, then, then that's going to then translate in my love for others. Because my love for the Lord leads to a love for my neighbor. My attitude and my heart changes. People who struggle with racism, people who struggle with all kinds of things and isms in their own heart, Right? All of that goes away when your perspective changes and you see the world and you see through the lens of God's word, you see through the lens of the Lord himself. And you realize that all have been created in his image and all need Jesus Christ. The Lord is merciful, but he's he's kind, he's patient, but he's also truthful and he speaks truth in love. He speaks into the lives of people. So listen, the priority is the Lord first and then our neighbor. It's God-focused. And listen, you cannot please the Lord and honor the rest of his word unless you get those two accurate in your life. You don't have the neighbor above the Lord. You, don't, you have the Lord first and foremost and then our neighbor. Here's the problem with the Pharisees. The problem with the religious leaders, the Pharisees, Sadducees, you name it, where they were lawdoers, but there was no love in it. They were just real followers. They were just, let's get all the laws out. Let's go through all the stuff. Let's go through what God tells us to do and what not to do, and let's add some things to it. And, and they just, there was no love in it. It's just law, just books. And so they're walking around and they're, 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 they're criticizing and they're condemning people that are doing this or that. Some of them are doing the same things themselves, but they're so blind with their arrogance and pride they couldn't see it. They were just law doers, but they were not lovers of God. This is why Jesus criticizes them. This is why Jesus cuts to the heart of who they are. But see, the way God changes our hearts is not by doing lots of things. It's by giving your life to those things. Here's the key. The key is this, to your heart. It's to abide in Christ. You want to be a successful person, a successful disciple of Jesus Christ this year, it's learn to abide in Jesus. This is a lesson for all of us, myself included. John chapter 15, Jesus is teaching this very thing to his disciples, and he says this to them. He says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit in itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You see the progression? The Father has loved me. I have loved you. Now you love me. The only way that we can love him is by way of him and by way of his love that's poured into our life. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as i have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love these things i have spoken to you that my joy may be in you that your joy may be full church this is this is the key to life it's the key to understanding how to have a fruitful and abundant life a fruitful and abundant uh, relationship with Jesus Christ. The more you immerse yourself in Jesus and follow his example and continue to allow him to govern your life and allow him to govern how you think and allow him to govern how you speak, the more your heart's gonna be motivated to love God and to love others. That's the key. The The real problem in our hearts, I'm convinced, is this, because I feel this tension in my own heart at times. There's more of us at times than there's more of Christ. There's more of me. There's more of my flesh. There's more of what I want. And there's this constant struggle than there is of Jesus Christ and how he thinks and how he lives. And that is the struggle. But here is I want to encourage us this morning. That when you abide in Jesus, when you fully walk in his ways... And when you listen to him and you lay before him and you sit before him in in, in front of his word and you pray and you read and you allow him to change your heart and you begin to follow the things he wants you to do in your life, think the way he wants you to think, live the way he wants you to live and your life begins to change, he will begin to change your heart towards him and towards others. And so the question in all of our lives, is God pleased with your life? Is he pleased with your daily thoughts and your actions and your decisions? Is he pleased with those things? It's a key question to come to at the end of every year. It's a key question to begin our life with here in 2023. Listen, God wants wholehearted love. He wants wholehearted love. A love for him and a love for others. And Jesus made it very simple for us to understand. He made it very simple for his Pharisees to understand, these Pharisees and this lawyer to understand. Jesus makes it very simple for you and I to understand. The key is simply surrender and obedience. Surrender and obedience and walking by faith. That's all he wants. And when we walk by faith... And then we get our eyes off of all of the things around us, and we get our eyes on Jesus himself, and we begin to follow him and walk just faithfully towards him daily in our lives, Then he begins to do this supernatural work in our hearts and in our lives. We begin to love the Lord more with our heart, with our soul, with our mind, and with our strength. And we begin to do the work he's called us to do, and begin to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Let's surrender to that framework for life, and let's be faithful this year. I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And we're going to have a time of response here at the end of our service. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. They're going to lead us in a song as we do at the end of our service. But listen, if you're here today and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible is very simple in how he, God, lays out for us how we can have a relationship with him. And it's simply this, that what God says to us is that when we understand that he is perfect and he is holy in every way, We understand that we're sinners and we're broken and we're cut off from him. We understand that God does not want us to be cut off from him. So he provides the solution and his solution is Jesus Christ himself. And if we turn to Jesus and we surrender our hearts to Jesus and we commit to follow Jesus fully and wholeheartedly with our lives, then he becomes, comes into our life and he saves us. He saves us from our sin. He saves us from ourselves. and He begins to change us from the inside out. And He puts us on a pathway of following Him with our heart, our soul, and our mind, and our strength. That's what God wants. That's what God wants in your life. Listen, as you start this year, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus yet. I want to give you the chance to become a follower of His. And you can just come down here and tell me, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. And we'll start that journey together. You understanding how to follow Him with your life. You don't have to know all the answers. But you do have to turn away from sin and repent and start following Jesus with your heart. This morning, you can join our church. You can follow through with Believer's Baptism if you want to be baptized. We've got people already ready to be baptized as we start the new year. Maybe you can join them. Maybe God's just speaking to you about wanting to come down here and pray, just committing yourself to these things, loving Him and loving others as we start the year together. I'll be here at the front to pray with you over any matter, of course. But let's pray together, and then we'll stand and sing. Lord, thank you this morning just for your faithfulness in our life to make life simple for how we are to live it. And we just want to collectively tell you that we want to follow, Lord, this framework for life, to love you, Jesus, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so God, I just pray that you would make these realities in all of our hearts, make these a reality in our church. Help us to have the courage to respond to you on this Sunday morning. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.